Welcome everybody to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy, and I have an awesome dynamic couple with us today who own Charlie and Echo uh, Winery. And um, we have Clara and Eric Brinkmeyer on with us today. And um, Clara is actually an Air Force veteran like myself. So hoorah. Um, we love that because the Air Force is the best. Um, but um, we wanted to get you guys in, uh, on the show today and, um, and hear a little bit about your story. Uh, I love the name of your, your wine company because it definitely has that military edge and that military feel to it. Um, but I know there's probably a really neat story behind it, right? And I think, um, I think everyone probably moonlights uh, or, or thinks they're going to moonlight in retirement years and into like a, a winery or a vineyard or something. And you guys are actually living it. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your journey. I guess let's start with with the military, like what even compelled you to, to join the Air Force? And, and tell us about that experience. Um, well, point blank, I just wanted to travel. So grew up in a small town in West Virginia, wanted to see the world. Um, so of course, my first assignment was all of five hours from home at the Pentagon, um, which was awesome. So put in for worldwide volunteer, went to Europe, went to Korea, went to Africa. Colorado, Louisiana, pretty much traveled every two years. Um, so that was my main reason for joining the military, and it's the best decision I ever made. So. That's awesome. And you were in the military, you said about 21 years in the Air Force, right? 21 years, right. Mm -hmm. Wow. wow. What, was, what was one of your most memorable, your favorite places you got to visit or get stationed at? Uh, somewhere around year 15 in the Air Force, I put in for a special duty assignment to work with the defense attache in Africa. So oh, cool. two years in Cameroon and then two years in Madagascar, which was wow. awesome. Operational support, whatever walks in the front door. Um, I was the one and only Air Force person in that embassy. So it was a big responsibility, but a lot of fun. Oh, that's pretty neat. Um, and now you guys ended up kind of down in my neck of the woods, down in San Diego um, with your business. How did you guys end up in San Diego after all that travel? Um, well, I knew one person in San Diego when I retired. Um, my friend Catherine, we met in Botswana, of course, that's where you meet Americans, Botswana. <laughs> and um, yeah, she invited me out to spend the weekend. I spent four days on her couch and decided to move here. Got a job, uh, went back to Canton, Ohio, where my sister was for one winter. Decided that was my motivation to get a job in San Diego and just moved out here the next summer. So, yeah. Yeah. Our weather is a pretty good motivation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me a little bit now um, about Charlie and Echo. Um, obviously, Charlie and Echo, in, in the military world, we get what that means, right? That's phonetic alphabet for C and E, right? Which mm -hmm. are the initials of your names, right? Clara and Eric. Yep. Yep. Um, so the name is really cool. I like it as two cool meetings. I think it kind of touches on the, that military past and, and plus your names. Um, but tell us about wine. Is, is wine something you guys have always had a passion for? Or tell me about that a little. Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah. So on my aspect, I mean, um, uh, I, I, not, I wouldn't say really ever fully. Like um, back in, on, on my side, my, uh, my, my maternal grandparents emigrated uh, from Italy. And, uh, you know, the stories of uh, them back in Ohio where they lived, uh, you know, they had the wine press in the basement. And they grew some grapes there and they bought grapes and they always made wine and uh uh my my uh, dad who you know married married in uh he said that it was awful wine 
Um, but hey, we'll go on what he says. Um, but you know, so there's that background there, but we, I didn't really carry that. Um, you know, I don't really have anything from there. It's a great story, but I'm uh, not really just gonna have my mom's herself, not that much into wine. Uh, uh, I actually got into wine maybe just uh, 20-ish years ago, um, just moved out to California myself, moved out here from, from Arizona, um, new group of friends, all big wine people, started drinking wine, started loving wine. Um, and around 2007, um, wanted to kind of get into the wine business some. And so started off a tiny little uh, winery. Literally, we found another local winery where we could sublease from them a 10 foot by 10 foot square um, in the corner of their place <laughs> to start our place. Uh, so then Claire and I met uh, very soon after that kind of initial start off. So we both have been kind of working in there at the beginning. And uh, we'd originally called the place Vinavanti, which was supposed to be this fun mashup of Vent for wine and Avanti for go forward in French and then Italian. And uh, it was a horrible name. It was my idea. It was a horrible <laughs> idea. Nobody could say it. Nobody could spell it. Nobody could remember it. Um, and so finally, just about three years ago, Claire came up one day with Charlie and Echo. She blurted it out and uh, we immediately fell in love with it. Off it went. That's great. And, uh, so you guys are in over by uh, Miramar, right? Your, your location is pretty close to that. So do you guys, do you guys draw in a, a decent military crowd since you're close to the air base there? Yeah, no, not, yes and no. I mean, it's not, um, it's such a mixed area. So we get a good amount of, uh, of uh, uh, military personnel coming in, um, but I would say probably out of the total mix of our customers, maybe 15, 20% of our customers are probably military. Yeah. And then um, there's so much else in there in terms of, you know, biotech and everything else going on in San Diego. It's a real mix of all that, but probably about 20% or so of our customers are, are from the base. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you guys are, are you actually making your own wine then? Yeah, we're doing all the, uh, we like to say, we just don't grow it. Okay. <laughs> so um, we don't grow it there um we buy grapes locally we stay in san diego county we buy all the grapes locally off of local growers um we go out to the vineyards to pick up the grapes they do the picking we pick them up um and we bring them to our little spot yeah we're just north of northgate of mcas miramar um and we bring it into our little industrial space there and make make wine out of it that's it up there yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so what what um type of wine do you guys usually make or what are you known for um we're no, mostly known for um we do a lot of sparkling wine um and um it seems maybe a little unusual down in um san diego to make sparkling wine but um you can make fantastic sparkling wine here and we just thought it just goes so well with the lifestyle and the food and whatnot um we do a lot of sparkling wine we do a lot of whites and rosés um we kind of always like to say you know in san diego you eat a lot more fish tacos than beef wellington um, so, uh, we kind of focus more on those, uh, kind of things that go well, with the food and the lifestyle and, and, you know, warm weather and everything down here. Um, we stylistically, we also do a lot of what you would call natural wines in the, in the wine world, meaning, uh, you do as little kind of as possible. You don't try to force the wine into much of a, a particular style. You kind of harvest the grapes. Um, you let wild native yeast take over, um, and ferment it. Um, you try to buy, um, the grapes is naturally grown organically or biodynamically grown as you can. Um, and essentially could I mean, 
possibly pass muster with with organic labeling, but people aren't necessarily as much into the organic labeling as simply ensuring you use those methodologies of being as very natural and as simplistic with the winemaking as possible. That's, that's really interesting. So are you guys um, distributing the wine to like resellers or how do you get the wine out? Um, yeah, some, some, each needs. So we do uh, our little tasting room there in, um, in Miramar. So we have our little tasting room. Um, and then um, we've started doing more uh, trade. So more stuff to distribution and retail. Um, really our biggest um, distribution, oddly enough, is not locally. It's in Virginia. <laughs> so we have a distributor in Virginia and we distribute in Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area uh go figure uh so uh yeah so in san diego the place to find us is at our place and not many others and then you know the next people we we joke and we're like well, where's the next closest place i'm like well virginia <laughs> a little bit of a drive a little bit of a drive that's right um so you know we're just starting to reopen a little bit from the uh the whole covid stay at home order um and how how did the the covid situation impact you guys were you were you shipping wine to directly to people at their homes or, um, you know, how did that impact business for you? Um, yeah, so we, um, you know, it's, 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 again, through this whole adventure, every week's a new adventure and customers would come in and always ask, well, how are you doing or what's going to be going on? I'm like, well, we seem to be doing fine and I have no idea. Ask me next week. You know, you know, you never know. Um, we immediately were allowed, luckily that we fall under an essential business. So we were immediately still allowed, while we couldn't do pourings and tastings on site, we were, we were still allowed to ship wine um, and we were allowed for people to come by for pickup. So they could come by the winery, pick it up. Um, they could actually buy it there or they could be set up. Um, we invested a lot more time in our website, upgraded all of it to make all the ordering process easier. Uh, so they could order and do the whole, you know, drive through pickup. Uh, they could walk up to the window, buy it. Um, and we got a great amount of support, um, um, a surprising, I mean, a really heartening amount of support from our, from our existing customer base. Um, so sales uh, uh, suffered, but luckily, you know, in the first two weeks, you're white knuckling it there, wondering if you're going to be around. And um, pretty soon it was kind of like, well, it looks like it'll be okay. looks like we're going to pass through this okay. Um, and that's been it. And so then Every week we just got allowed to reopen two weeks ago with food <clears throat> and then we were allowed to open up just last week without requiring food um, and it was a pretty busy um, Saturday as busy as we, we can with everybody spread out. <laughs> uh, we've gotten permission from our landlord and from the alcohol licensing bureau to actually expand into the parking lot uh, and you're seeing a lot of that with um, restaurants and places where they're getting permits to be able to expand out into parking lots and streets where normally you wouldn't be allowed to, but um, uh, the alcohol licensing is allowing you to do it for, for understandable reasons, right? But right. to get some sort of distancing that you're going to need to be able to do that. And they'd rather see people outside with fresh air and all that rather than inside of the tasting. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So one thing I can't figure out is, is how to drink through the mask yet. Um, yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> once, once you get it, once you get it saturated, it just goes through. Oh, okay. All right. Good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, um, with with the whole wine process. Now, admittedly, I'm not a, a complete 
wine aficionado, but I, I did, uh, one of my good buddies and I, when we graduated college, uh, decided that if we we're going to go into the business world, we should know a little more about wine than red and white. Right. So, um, so they, yeah. So, there you go. so and, and going before that, that's all we knew. There was red wine and white wine. And that's, that was the basis of our knowledge. But, um, so we took at the local community college, um, a course on wine and food pairing. And I got to say it was, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. Right. Um, and learned a ton. I mean, not that I can regurgitate all of it, but you know, learned about the different varietals of wine and and what kind of flavors you can smell and taste in them, and how to how to smell it and taste it and stuff like that. And it was really cool. So the whole the whole wine experience has really changed, you know, for me and a, and a couple of my friends because we we did that. And so I have a really good appreciation for um, you know what you guys do and making the wine and putting the different flavors in and the fun part about it like the social setting of it um with pairing it with food and it really is a neat thing especially once you learn a little bit about what you're doing do you guys um do you guys host or, or teach that to people when they come into your tasting room or have any events where you do kind of a wine and food pairing type of thing no no the events oh i'll go over the events so uh yeah yeah we normally pre-covid um we would generally do one a month Okay. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we'd always kind of talk about it, of course, in the tasting room, but as far as a pairing event, we would do one a month. Um, and some of that was kind of an expect. We do a wine and cheese pairing with a local cheesemonger, which was always well attended and a great one. Um, but then we'd have fun. We do other ones. We've done um, uh, uh, wine and um, oysters. Um, we do that in January, like right in a nice time of oyster season. We've got a guy who, you know, he's the shucker, right? And absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh oysters um and then it grows great with all those little lighter wines and all that sparkling wine we do it's fantastic pairing so that one sells out all the time um we've done um then some other fun oddball ones we've done um uh, wine and gelato and sorbetto which was a lot of fun we do that in summer so we're gonna hopefully be able to do that again um we've of course done wine and chocolate we usually do that around valentine's day um we've also done a full um wine and charcuterie so it's just you know five series of wondrous meat accompaniments uh, which is also very that sounds awesome it is <laughs> um so we usually try to do one once a month we'd, we'd love to expand it we're just you know we're small and trying to make sure that we, we get enough attention um right now it's all on hold still um uh, even with the distancing it's um it's it's too distant and it's hard to get um we like those kind of environments to be a more intimate one where you can get really like interact with everybody. And right now with, um, still with everybody kind of shotgunned out who just, I, I, I don't think the event would, would, would carry as much on, it wouldn't be as enjoyable. So, so we're looking to get back into it hopefully though. That's great. What's, um, what's next for you guys with, uh, Charlie and Echo? What's, what's the, the goal that you guys are driving towards? Um, I, you know, I'll, Ultimately, um, I, uh, uh, we want this to be something that, um, excuse me, um, we both could carry on kind of a, you know, full-time with. We're both not, both of us are not completely full-time with it, so we're hoping to get like, really full-time with it. Um, and, you know, as far as um, bringing, I guess, you know, two things, as far as a, a purely financial motive, it would be nice to have it be at some place where it becomes a nice retirement income source reliable thing you know eventually you know we get to travel the world and check in at the winery every once in a while and go everything good great um that kind of thing 
Um, so hopefully maybe 10, 15 years from now, uh, you know, that would be it, right? Kind of a thing, be able to have it as part of our retirement. As far as, you know, other motivational goals around the winery itself, um, we just think there's, it's, it's San Diego County, we always say is the oldest and newest winemaking region, right? It's the oldest winemaking region in California. Um, it just fell by the wayside after prohibition and um, the, the World War II and different economies came in and citrus came in and different things. Um, and now it's really coming alive. And so being able to leave some sort of a mark um, in the history of San Diego winemaking, um, even if it's, you know, a tiny little footnote when somebody writes the history of San Diego winemaking, um, it'd be nice to be able to have something that said, you know, we moved the industry forward in some way, right? Made it a little bit more, uh, gave it a style or gave it some recognition or something along. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I mean, San Diego, I think is so predominantly known now for craft beer, right? And it's been, you know, one of the meccas for that. So I think it's cool that you guys are venturing out and in doing the wine thing. Um, yeah, we've been told San Diego is a beer place with a wine problem. <laughs> That's a good way to explain it. Um, so for, for someone, you know, if we had um, a young military person or something listening to this and they had some ideas of maybe starting their own winery, um, what kind of tips or suggestions would you give them? I, I got to imagine that there's probably some pretty good capital costs out the gate to get you going with the right equipment and uh, facility and stuff like that. But what kind of tips and advice would you give somebody who might want to follow down a similar path as you guys? Um, uh, it, it is very capital intensive. We've had, I mean, we're in, we're a tiny little winery. Um, and we've had even people come in and comment, Oh my gosh, all this equipment. Like, wow. You know, cause I go to other, see other bigger wineries and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, it, we built it over years. I mean, we built up what we have over a period of uh, 13 years now, um, slowly accumulating stuff. Um, and we literally, not a joke, Claire and I remember sitting there in our little 10 foot by 10 foot corner <laughs> in this other winery. I mean, we just asked around and found another winery that was cool enough to say, yeah, you can, you know, lease the sub corner from us. Um, and we leased that there and we spent uh maybe two thousand dollars i think on our initial tanks and all the little equipment to do our little tiny winery that cranked out a couple hundred cases um so you know scour the scour the used equipment ads and you know get creative and talk to people and learn so i guess uh, so trying to summarize that is I, I don't be put off by thinking it has to take a lot of capital equipment you can start with little footprints and and do fun little things um, you can even contract to have other wineries help you make the wine um, if you wanted to get started that way, um, rather than kind of jump into it all yourself. Um, and, um, you know, just I, hard to say otherwise. It, it's a very welcoming community overall, I would say. Um, the wine making community and, and the generally the brewing, distilling, mead, cider, this is all a very cool community of people and uh, it's, rare you run across anybody who doesn't who isn't willing to help you out if you need some information or a lead on a tank or something else um and uh 
you know, with that, I, you know, again, if, if, if you're coming then from a military background, I mean, also just relying on all of those networks and resources and, and, and community too, right? Uh, but I just don't be put off by it. It's not, it's, I, we like to act like it's rocket science, but it's not actually rocket science. The uh, <laughs> line kind of makes itself. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't actually cost that much. You can get it, you can get in without all that capital equipment. Uh, you know, it's just going to take time to grow. Gotcha. Is there like a tricky part to, uh, learning how to make wine? Um, first, uh, you don't let, um, your, your, uh, partner drink at all. <laughs> uh, she gets thirsty there. Um, no, I think actually, um, well, we come also from a very um, natural winemaking part. So quite literally, um, we, we do as little as possible. You bring the grapes in, you either press them right away, or you just stem them and put them in a big bin like this. And, um, and they'll just start naturally fermenting. Um, grapes come in with yeast on them. Um, and you can rely on the wild yeast and they'll start doing their thing. Um, Tricks, I guess, would be, I would say, two things. One is um, when you're doing our kind of winemaking, it's very, you've got to pick great grapes at the right time because that's what sets everything else, you know, down the road. It's the foundation of the home, um, whatever other analogies, you know, you kind of want to use. But if you don't start well there, it doesn't matter what you try to build on top of it. It's all going to be a losing proposition, right, if you don't start with that foundation. Um, so the tricks are um, get great fruit, pick it exactly at the right time, which is always that's the maddening part every season, right? You can't you can't take back a pick date. You can't pick it and wish you picked the day earlier or picked the day later. Um, and then just attention, 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 attention. We don't we don't do a lot, but by not doing a lot doesn't mean you're not paying attention a lot. Um, you're constantly monitoring things and watching them and making th sure things are going okay and always paying some attention to the details that when you do maybe need to do a little something, transfer wine to another tank or something else, you know when to do it rather than being too late. Okay. And then, so like, what is that image you guys have behind you? Tell me, what is that? Is that like actually crushing the grapes in the, in the machine or what is that? Um, that's actually, and now that I think about it, we should have pulled up another image. We got an image of, of Claire popping out of a tank, and I should have gotten that image up. Um, she's cleaning a tank, so she's up there. It's a, it's a tank that's double stacked, so she's up about 15 feet in the air. Um, uh, this is, uh, so these are grapes that have been destemmed, and um, so when you make red wine, uh, it's only red because of the skin contact with, with the juice. Um, the grapes themselves, the juice isn't red with very, very few exceptions. Um, and I tell people, just think of table grapes. You buy red table grapes, you don't squish them open, it's like all red all over your hands. It's clear. Um, it only turns red by, you mush it up and you sit it in a bin there with its skins and it starts leaching that color out. And that's what makes it red. Um, it also then gets some flavors out of there. It gets tannins, which is that astringency that you like that makes you feel like you've got cotton balls on your teeth. Um, and a good big red wine kind of thing. Um, and so that's what's going on here. So you literally actually take the grapes, de-stem them. There's a machine that'll take the stems off because we get them on stem um, in clusters um, and then put them into bins. These, this is a 1,000 pound, half ton bin. 
Um, we do half ton and one ton bin. So this is a, a half ton, this is a thousand pounds of grapes. Um, and it'll just leave it in the bin, you put a cloth over it, um, and it starts fermenting on its own. And what we're doing there is something called a punch down, which is um, as it ferments, it creates a lot of, it creates both alcohol, yay, um, <laughs> and, and, and CO2, uh, you know, gas. Um, and the gas will lift all the grapes up out of the wine. Um, and so what you do is you come by two or three times a day with a big paddle like that. That's about um, 10 inches across for reference. Um, and you just smoosh it back down. It doesn't take too long. Um, but when you do a whole bunch of these bins, it does get pretty exhausting. Um, you kind of just smoosh them all back down. And you have to do that two or three times a day because you want those the skins down in there to keep extracting the juice. So that's what's going on in that bin. Okay. <clears throat> Nice. What, um, in the San Diego region, what grape varietals are pretty natural to the area? Um, you know, we're kind of still finding that out. Um, and, well. Yeah, we're, we're still really finding it out. Um, people have planted, and, and there's also the challenge, because when you talk about San Diego County, it's got something, it's a gigantic county. It's a huge county, um, right? We go all the way from the ocean all the way up through Palomar Mountains and the whole mountain ranges, then back down in Borrego <laughs> Desert area, the Anza Borrego. Um, so you can grow just about everything here, somewhere in the county. It's just a matter of, are you ever gonna grow a lot of it? Um, uh, so it's hard to ever say, well, that one thing wouldn't grow here. It just might be you can't grow a lot of it. Um, general things, like a lot of the most popular stuff has very few spots where it grows well. So Cabernet Sauvignon, it's difficult to grow that well down here. Um, Chardonnay, difficult to grow well down here, some of these bigger things. Um, things that are a little bit more warmer climb, um, uh, uh, um, we've had, but with that said, we've also had some great success with some colder climate grapes, which would be a surprise. So Syrah grows well down here, Zinfandel grows well down here. Um, we've actually had crazy success with both Viognier and Riesling. Riesling, you would think oh. would be they're great where it's normally grown. Um, we had a great harvest last year with some delicious Riesling that we brought in. Um, and so a lot of times though it still surprises you. I mean you, you go and you do all the math in your head of the soil types and the weather and all this other stuff um, and that's certainly things you should look for but um, sometimes it's kind of a trip it'll surprise you. Um, but generally speaking warmer weather things, uh, Syrah, Grenache, Mataro, um, and we're seeing even more fun, obscure stuff. The Mediterranean grapes are not as well known as classic Bordeaux grapes. Um, and so things like Assyrtico uh, and Nerdavolo and um, you know, slightly more, what we would consider in the United States more esoteric grapes, but are very widely known across the Mediterranean. Muscat, that's a classic actually. Muscat's a classic for San Diego County. That's really cool. Uh, Clara, a question I have for you. Um, so how did the military help you, you know, become armed and ready for this, this new venture of the winery? <laughs> um, well, as we talked about, I love to travel. Um, my very first assignment overseas was <clears throat> the Azores, the Vino Verde, um, a lot of white crisp wines, and then I had a follow-on assignment to Germany. So it was just the different regions and different tasting of wine. I never thought I'd end up 
uh, meeting Eric and being in the wine business. I really wish I would have paid attention when I was in France and in, even in Africa, South African wines are phenomenal. So depending where you are, for example, we, we traveled to Croatia a few years back. There's a specific taste to that region. There's a time and there's a place of what it tastes like. So, I mean, if, if we ever find, you know, Croatian wines every now and then in San Diego, that brings back memories that you, you know what it tastes like and what it feels like to be in Croatia, to be in Africa, drinking that wine. And it's nice when it, it stays true to form and it tastes like that location. So I can call that experience, I guess, um, in the military and having the, uh, the, the benefit of traveling the planet uh, and sampling wines from all over the globe. Um, you know, neither wine is, is better or worse. They're all just different. You've got to appreciate it from where you're at and how they grow it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, because she, she also sure. had a much um, greater breadth of, of wine tasting experience when we started this thing um, between the two of us. Because again, she kind of drank stuff all over the world and I was kind of drinking a little bit in the whole California sort of facility. Um, so um, that helped bring a lot of um, experience to the, to, the, to the plate, to the glass. Um, of our stuff and um, and I don't know if it's military or not but uh, I don't know if the protector guys went over it's the same thing in in brewing and winemaking and stuff. most of our job is cleaning that's most of what we do <laughs> we try to have, like it's not cleaning it's mostly cleaning and moving stuff that's pretty much what making beer or wine is cleaning and moving stuff so um, she moved a lot and I think she cleaned a lot in the military so that helps <laughs> Yeah, the military does a good job of teaching how to clean, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great, you guys. Well, um, I, I hope to get down to the winery here once this um, economy opens up a little bit more to visit you guys and, and share a glass of wine and, and see it more firsthand. I'd love to come meet you there. Um, and want to just thank you both for taking some time today to be on the show with us. I know um, you have a lot on your plates. So. We really appreciate having you guys on the Armed and Ready podcast, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, no, we really, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thanks, you guys. Have a good one. All right, you take care. <laughs>